You're listening to Episode 7 of Justice, Mercy, Faith, a podcast from The Christian Citizen. In this episode, enjoy Christian Citizen contributors, the Reverend John Zuring, who reminds us in his essay, Just When Is Light Supposed to Break Forth Like the Dawn?, that perhaps when Jesus spoke about the darkness not overcoming the light, he was not speaking about a nation's politics or governance. And Dr. Lynn Domina shares a story about two sisters who demonstrated a rare maturity and determination when confronted by evil at a young age. The Reverend John Zuring has served United Church of Christ congregations for 22 years as a pastor in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Maine. He is the author of more than 30 books, his most recent, Get Your Church Ready to Grow, a guide to building attendance and participation is available at judsonpress.com. Here he is with his essay, Just When Is the Light Supposed to Break Forth Like the Dawn? As I was leaving a visit with my parishioner, Muriel, and standing in the doorway, she said, when I watch TV news, it feels like evil is winning. That caught me off guard. How do you discuss an hour's worth of systematic theology while you were buttoning up your coat? But I had to answer with something. So I responded with Jesus' I am statement from the Gospel of John. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I tried to reassure Muriel that no matter how bleak things appear, the darkness will not overcome the light. Now, years later, I think my best intentions were misguided. I think I was wrong. What are we to say when leaders of a nation, society, or culture seem to promote darkness rather than light? Today in the United States, we experience a president who behaves less maturely than a five-year-old. A Supreme Court tilting so far to starboard that it could capsize and a Congress which is held in lower respect than almost any other occupation, although there may be some new hope on the horizon. Our planet is threatened by human-caused climate change, yet many in our top leadership positions deny science and assign responsibility for the henhouse to foxes. Many citizens feel so helpless, harassed, or depressed that they cannot stand to watch the TV news anymore. Perhaps Muriel was correct. It feels like evil is winning. Like John, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Light may have eventually dawned years after the Holocaust or South Africa's apartheid, but that gave small comfort to those who suffered tragic loss, pain, or death. For a long time, darkness prevailed. And there are signs today of a pervasive evil in our land. The hundreds and maybe thousands of children dragged away by the United States government from their migrating parents, seeking to fall into the arms of the Statue of Liberty, may find little relief from the words about darkness not overcoming the light. The millions cascading down out of the middle class, while the upper 1% increases their wealth geometrically, may rightly wonder just when is the light supposed to break forth? perhaps not in time to do them any good. Consider when Jesus spoke these words about the light of the world and how whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. When Jesus entered the world, 
an evil-minded Herod ordered all young children to be killed in order to hopefully eliminate Jesus. Listen to this from Matthew 2, verse 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. This is the dark side to Christmas, which rarely, if ever, makes it into the annual Christmas pageant. Thirty-three years later, leaders of darkness sought and obtained Jesus' death. How would you explain to someone that the light of the world was sent by God to our planet and we killed him? You couldn't blame the earliest followers of Jesus for questioning just when the light is supposed to break forth like the dawn. When Jesus refers to being the light, perhaps he is not applying this to political, social, or cultural experience, but to something else. But what? He speaks in metaphor, uses figures of speech, and frequently employs Middle Eastern teaching techniques like hyperbole, parallelism, patterns, and parable. How are we to understand? Perhaps when Jesus spoke about the darkness not overcoming the light, he was not speaking about a nation's politics or governance. Jesus came into the world to bring us the good news and to teach us the truth about God. That is the light. When John began his gospel, he talked about the mind of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us to enlighten us. John 1, 1, chapter 1, uh, verse 9 says, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. The true light, which enlightens. When Jesus said, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, notice the pronoun, whoever. This is personal. This applies to you, me, and anyone who follows him. Our following him, which is good news, is not likely to be shown on TV news. It is the nature of TV news for viewers to witness more darkness than light. It's also the nature of TV news to focus disproportionately on politics and politicians. Jesus was speaking personally, whoever, whoever follows me. He was not speaking politically or culturally. He did not say that when the late of the world arrives, our politics and society will change dramatically for the better. In many cases, it has not. However, when the late of the world arrives, the late has the potential to change people, and people have the potential to change society and culture for good. The goal for people of faith is not to make our nation great again, but to make our nation good again. Therefore, how extraordinarily critical it is for followers of Jesus to let their light shine, especially in the darkest of places and at the darkest of times. A critical mass of followers who reflect God's radiated light become a model and a warm glow when it is needed most. They serve as an example of the best of people, aspiring to the goals of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Do not let the TV news or even national leadership going in the wrong direction draw you into darkness. Welcome into your soul the light of the great I am and trust that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. 
Dr. Lynn Domina is head of the English department at Northern Michigan University. She is a writer, teacher, traveler, and author and editor of several books. Her articles have appeared in publications such as The Christian Century, Christianity in Literature, and Poetry Daily. Her contribution here is read from her book, Devotions from Her Story, 31 Days with Women of Faith, which is available at judsonpress.com. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. When Poland was invaded by the Nazis early in World War II, Stefania Podgorska was only 14 years old, while her sister Helena was 10 years younger. Their father had died in 1938, and their mother and brother were conscripted as forced laborers for the Nazis. Stefania worked as a clerk in a grocery store owned by a Jewish family until they were removed to a Jewish ghetto. As the Holocaust became increasingly terrifying, the two girls harbored 13 Jews in the attic of their apartment, including Stefania's former employers and their family and friends who had escaped from the ghetto as they were about to be deported to concentration camps. All of these people survived the war. The Podgorska sisters were forced to think and act quickly at a young age, yet they demonstrated a rare maturity and determination. One way of reading the story of Martha and Mary from Luke's Gospel is that contemplation is preferable to action. Another way of reading it is that some circumstances call for contemplation, for listening, for stillness. Others call for active response. We don't always have the opportunity Mary had to sit and listen to Jesus. Sometimes we must do the work that Martha took on. But if we have made a practice of listening for God, we can assure ourselves that when the time comes for action, we will be guided toward the right choice. The Podgorska sisters made the right, though dangerous, choice, but they wouldn't have had such courage if they hadn't already thought about ethics and justice. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thank you to this week's contributors, the Reverend John Zering and Dr. Lynn Domina. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. We'll be back with a new episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith on April 9th. To learn more about The Christian Citizen, visit the website christiancitizen.us. Until next time, I'm Joshua Kegi. Thanks for listening.